You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Real Presence Live. I'm Chris Euler. I'm Heather Caro. And we are broadcasting from Aberdeen, South Dakota, from Aberdeen Ron Colley High School, home of the Cavaliers. Uh, and uh, we are excited to be with you all today. Uh, we've had a, we have a wonderful show for you guys, uh, some heavy topics that we've been discussing. Mm-hmm. Discussed a little bit uh, before the break about uh, Poster Board of Women, and a panel was going to go on in our local area to help forgiveness and healing. Uh, and now we're going to move into uh, a, a topic that has a lot of weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but praise be Jesus Christ, he's already won the battle. Amen. So uh, we're going to dive in and have a wonderful conversation with Father Vincent Lampert. So good morning, Father Vincent. Uh, welcome to Real Presence Radio. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into the meat and potatoes? Absolutely. So it's good to be with you today. So I'm Father Vincent Lampert, a priest of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. I was ordained on June the 1st of... 1991, so approaching 32 years as a priest. And back in 2005, the Archbishop of Indianapolis appointed me to be the exorcist for the diocese. So I've done that now for the past 18 years. That's a pretty pretty interesting story right there, right? So you've been an exorcist for 18 years, right? The Archbishop asked you. And so uh, is this something that you saw yourself ever doing, or did you have a role in... Uh, suggesting it to the Archbishop that you would be an exorcist? How did that come about? No, it certainly was not a job that I was seeking. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis has always had a priest uh, designated to be the exorcist, even when it fell out of practice in many dioceses. After the Second Vatican Council, Indianapolis always had a priest in this role. Ironically, the priest before me was the pastor of the parish where I attended grade school, Oh. I'll never imagine that one day I would be a priest <laughs> and take over a job that he had. But the bishop told me that he chose me because he wanted a priest who believed in the reality of evil, but not one who would be too quick to believe that everyone who came to me and thought that they were dealing with the demonic, that that would absolutely be the case. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a something that you have to be aware of, right, and have some distinctions about uh, to be able to look at a, a case-by-case basis. And so uh, along that line, uh, what does training look like for an exorcist? Does it, is it more schooling? Is it, I assume, more intense spiritual development? What kind of look does uh, the training have? When I was appointed, I became one of only about 12 stably appointed exorcists in the United States. The Church says the best way to learn the ministry is through the apprenticeship model. So it's easy to get all the books and read about what the Church believes about the reality of the devil, the reality of evil. But really, the Church says that hands-on experience is so vital for the exorcist to become comfortable in the role. So my bishop in 2006 sent me to Rome. So I was in Rome for three months, and then I was able to work with a Franciscan priest who allowed me to sit on 40 exorcisms that he performed during the uh, three months I was in Rome. And then that allowed me to learn firsthand the Church's ministry to those who were up against the forces of evil and who were seeking the help of the Church. So three months training, and in that three-month time you had you witnessed and were part of 40 exorcisms. <laughs> wow. 
Absolutely. If you can imagine the different manifestations, I probably witnessed it. Everything from growling and eyes rolled in the back of the head to foaming at the mouth, even levitation. So it was everything completely across the board. That is absolutely crazy. I, uh, you know, you hear stories, right? Uh, yeah. From you know, from other priests. Like I've had priests, friends of mine that they haven't. They're not the exorcist, but they've you know seen one or been a part of one. And you know, hear stories, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you have. I'm sure, Father Lambert, you have a lot of stories, right? Um, but uh, you never really understand the. I guess the brevity of evil, the or excuse me, the brevity, the gravity, other word, yeah. of evil and the manifestation. So that's 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 wild to the average layman's ears, I suppose. So yeah, because it's not something that is forefront in our lives that we can see. Right. Um, how prevalent is it? Yeah. Do you think in the United States? I think it's growing. You know, uh, prior to COVID nineteen, I was getting about two thousand people contacting me every year asking for help because I'm publicly known. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of inquiries. But since COVID-19, I now get 3,500 requests a year, and they're coming from all over the United States, all over different parts of the world, where people believe they're dealing with the demonic. I always say to people that faith in God will lead us in one direction, and the lack of faith will lead us in another. And unfortunately, faith is in decline in the lives of many people. You know, Christianity built Western civilization, but way too many Christians are now abandoning their faith, and they're either turning to things that deal with the occult, even pre-Christian faith traditions, and people may not fully understand that what they're dealing with could actually be opening up a doorway to the demonic in their lives. I always say to people that I don't believe the devil is up to his game. I think that more people today are willing to play the devil's game because they're not living out their commitment to their relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely, yeah. And that uh, I'm, a, I'm a campus minister and a high school teacher. Uh, I've been doing it for five years, and um, I you can definitely see even in the last couple. You, know, you mentioned with COVID, like the last two and a half years since, uh, well, almost three years now since COVID, COVID struck our lands. There's been a huge shift in what kids prioritize and what families prioritize. So, mm. yeah, what you're what you're saying makes a, a whole lot of sense, Father. And um, it's an unfortunate reality that we gotta keep fighting back against and praying and witnessing. Um, yeah, Father. So, uh, when we look at an exorcism, what is the process of performing an exorcism entail? Well, the exorcist is trained to be a skeptic, so I should be the last person to believe that. The Church Mm. says I need to arrive at moral certitude, meaning beyond a doubt the person in front of me is truly possessed or dealing with the demonic. So in the United States, we follow a strict protocol. The person is required to have some type of a psychiatric evaluation. Oftentimes people may hear that and say, well, Father, you don't believe me. But I'm quick to point out to them that if it is demonic, they need to be in a good place mentally to go through the ritual of the Church. Mm. So that diagnosis and working with the psychiatrist is so important. They need to be able to uh, have a physical examination to rule out any physical cause for what they're experiencing. I would do an intake questionnaire to determine if it is demonic, what was the entry point? So what did the person do, either directly or indirectly, that invited the demonic into their life? I would look for four signs of 
possible demonic possession mentioned in the right itself, the ability to speak and understand languages otherwise unknown to the individual, superhuman strength, elevated perception, and then a negative reaction to anything of a sacred nature, such as being in a church, having the Bible read in front of them, being blessed with holy water, being shown a crucifix. And then step five of the protocol is actually the most important. It's not just enough to cast the demon out. God has to be invited in. In fact, I would even suggest that casting the demon out is the the easy part. The harder part is to convince the person that they either need to recommit or commit their life to Christ for the very first time. Because that's something you can't do. Like, you, prayers can only do so much as right. the personal assent, right? Absolutely, because we all have free will, mm-hmm. and ultimately we need to unite our free will with God. You know, St. John Paul II was always very fond of saying that uh, freedom in the true sense of the word means to be obedient to God. Mm-hmm. That when we are obedient to God and live in the manner that God created us to live, that's freedom in the true sense of the word. When we start believing that freedom means we can do whatever we want, then St. John Paul II says we end up becoming slaves to our own passions and desires. So really a part of working with somebody is not just to cast the demon out, but to get a person to invite God into their life. Yeah, and in that that part there, right, that particular inviting God into their life, how, I mean, how often do you see somebody... Have you seen somebody not choose to do that? Is that pretty prevalent, or is it something that you continue to work with them to help foster a greater disposition? Uh, Or is it kind of, you didn't receive them in your heart, and I don't see this really healing at this point. So what does that look like? It's kind of a combination of of both. That's why there's no such thing as an emergency exorcism. Mm. It really is working with a person, understanding where they're at, you know, faith-wise and spiritual-wise and then getting that person to the point where they will invite God into their life. I've seen a growing trend today where many people treat the exorcist as a magician, mm, yeah. meaning they think that I have powers and abilities and a bag of tricks that I can make all their problems go away. But I like to remind people that if they're relying on me as an individual, we're all in trouble. Right. But if someone is relying on the priest, who is a representative of the Church, who's acting in the person of Christ, in Persona Christi, that's the right mentality to have. But oftentimes when people find themselves being afflicted, they simply want it to go away. But as an exorcist, it's not just enough for the demon to go away. The bigger part of the equation is to invite God in. You think of chapter 11 in Luke's Gospel where it says, once the demon has been cast out, it goes and wanders through the arid wasteland, and then coming back and finding the house swept clean, meaning it's gone, but God hasn't been invited in. And then it goes and invites seven other demons into the life of that person, and their situation is worse than before. So I have chosen not to work with people if they did not have the right disposition or even the desire to grow in faith and holiness and deepen their relationship with God. Absolutely. And that, that I mean, that makes sense, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. the reality of, you know, you're going to go to people who desire to know and love Jesus and... Uh, I mean, it's we we are called to love all people, right? But not the same. make it worse. Not make it worse, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a yeah. it's a beautiful ministry you offer to the church father, and it's a I'm very grateful uh, for exorcists and men like you and priests like you who do this work. And 
Uh, so I hope it's something as we're listening, we can learn from this, right? For our own lives, even though we are not necessarily possessed or oppressed, right? But mm-hmm. we have to accept Jesus in our hearts. So uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, don't go anywhere, though. We'll be right back for the second half of the break with Father Lampert. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Does someone who takes their own life automatically go to hell? I'm Father Chris Alar. In 1993, my grandmother took her life, and for years I carried this burden because she committed a grave sin and had no time to repent. But the church states that certain mental conditions may reduce the responsibility of one who takes their own life. You are only eternally lost if you die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. And for a sin to be mortal, three conditions must be present. And one of those conditions is complete free will. I don't believe many people freely want to take their life. So there is hope for their salvation. To learn more, please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. This is Father Bo Brown from the Diocese of Duluth. A lot of times, us as as Catholics, we we struggle with the Holy Spirit because the the Father is so approachable. He has a name that's very... uh, that we all know, right, that we can relate to, and the Son as well. And when you get the Holy Spirit, oftentimes He can take this, this kind of back seat in our relationship with God. And we see early on in the, in the book of Acts and uh, in the disciples in the early life of the church, we see how they live with the Holy Spirit and they express to us what it's like to live with Him and how He both sanctifies what they do and their ministry and gives them special gifts and also how He sanctifies their own lives. And they talk about how the Spirit brings uh, certain effects in their life, like joy, and peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control. So I think it's good for us to think about today. What's our relationship with the Holy Spirit like? Is He a real person in our lives? We have the same kind of relationship with Him that we have with the Father and the Son. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm Chris Euler. And I'm Heather Carroll. And we are here with Father Vincent Lampert, uh, exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, uh, just talking about uh, what does it mean to be an exorcist? What does an exorcism entail? All these different things uh, that are a reality of our spiritual life as Catholics that we have to uh, be attentive to uh, the movings of evil and the, of course, the movements of the good and mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And so, uh, just diving into uh, some of his work and he's sharing some wisdom and some some truths with us. So, uh, we're grateful for him here. So, Heather, you had some questions. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Father, a little background on who I am. I um, my daughter is a twenty-year-old. And she's a very faithful Catholic, um, goes to church every Sunday, goes to confession regularly, la la la, does all the things, right? This is actually one of those topics that scares her to death. I mean, just scares her. And she worries about the devil coming in and bothering her. Mm. Is that like, can you speak into that a little bit on how 
maybe my daughter can protect herself. Mm. Absolutely. I think the fear that she might have is exactly what the devil would want her to have. Mm. Because when people live in fear, you can control them. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the devil wants us to do is to live in fear, whereas God wants us to live in freedom. And again, that freedom is found by being obedient to God. You know, as a Catholic, and I will say that half the people I work with every year are not Catholic. They come from other Christian faith traditions, other world religions, sometimes no faith background whatsoever. But as Catholics, I always say that it's the ordinary aspects of our faith that will always keep the devil at bay. So if we're going to Mass, celebrating the sacraments, if we're praying and reading the Bible, the devil is already on the run. So we don't have to do anything extraordinary to defeat the devil. It's really the essential ingredients of our Catholic faith that will always protect and safeguard us from what the evil one may be trying to do. Yeah. Of course. He's not going to like it when she's heading off to communion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or saying her Hail Marys. Yes. <laughs> the most powerful woman on earth. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a that's a really good lesson for us all, you know. And, you know, it's something that I think, you know, the, uh, I was thinking about when you were kind of talking about, you know, the gospel from this weekend. Mm-hmm. About the characters of Mary and Martha, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh Martha gets it, you know, when Jesus rolls in after Lazarus has passed. Martha's like, I believe, like, like we will resurrect. She's free. And then but if Mary, you had been here a exactly, little bit earlier. <laughs> exactly. And then Mary's just, like, peeved, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's living in this light, living in this, this reality of thinking with the mind of God and following God and the mind of human and mind of man are fallen mind and mm-hmm. i mean i fall into it too like i'm worried about x y and z and mm-hmm. there's a reason i pray my binding prayers over my house and my family i'm like mm-hmm. i don't want anything to happen to them you know and maybe sometimes my fears are rational well and i think sometimes having these conversations are important because a lot of times our society today doesn't want to believe that the devil's very active. Right, exactly. They're kind of like, yeah. oh, that's that's an old school thing. Yeah, you know? exactly. And he's loving every second of it. Yeah. You know, but they're quick to like be like, well, I watched this movie. I watched The Exorcist. Or I watched, you know, something like that. And they love it. Yeah. Right? So they're like denial about the reality of it. But when it's Hollywood, it's it's different. So, Father, could you maybe speak to the reality of like, number one, like how people kind of are not aware or don't believe in the influence of the devil and then secondarily how it's portrayed in modern culture like mm-hmm. how does that how do we make sense of all that yeah i think there's a lot of people today that believe that exorcism demon possession and even belief in the devil are kind of a throwback to the time of christ or you know to the middle ages when mental health issues weren't well understood but the church has consistently taught that evil is personified in what we call the devil and his demons, these other fallen angels. And that's been a part of our faith, you know, for the past 2,000 years. Even the Second Vatican Council spoke more about the reality of the devil than all the other church councils combined in the history of the church. So when people view it as something, you know, from a, a day gone by, that's really not the mindset. Again, the Church has always consistently taught. I think a lot of people today just don't want to believe that there is a devil, because then, if we truly believe in the devil, then there are consequences to the choices that we make. 
Mm. You know, do we choose to live good and holy lives and be obedient to God and live in that manner, pleasing to God? Or do we just kind of do our own thing? And if we do our own thing, we have to realize there are consequences. You know, do we want salvation or do we want damnation? But those certainly are not topics that are popular today. Right. Now, when Hollywood always portrays exorcisms, the focus is always on the manifestations. You know, you can say that in an exorcism, you know, the, the demon is like a child having a temper tantrum. You know, look at me, look at me, give me the focus, give me the attention. And a lot of what we see in Hollywood in those movies is actually real. Those things happen. But they're focusing on what the devil is doing, whereas the exorcist is really saying, don't look at what the devil is doing, look at what God wants to do here. Mm. Now, we were just talking about last Sunday's gospel, the raising of Lazarus. No, Jesus breathed new life into him, and we have to realize that Jesus wants to bring to breathe new life into all of us, no matter what we're dealing with. He did that with the woman at the well. He breathed new life into her. The man born blind, he breathed new life into her. Hmm. You know, God breathed new life into the Israelites who were, you know, taken off into captivity in Babylon because of their infidelity to God. So again, God desires to do that, and really in an exorcism, we can say that a demon is commanded to return that which it has stolen, namely a person created in the image and likeness of God. And then again, when the person is rescued from the devil, their God is breathing new life into them. Oh, absolutely. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to hear, right? That it's God who does the heavy lifting, yeah. God who breathes that new life into us. And mm-hmm. uh, like our human minds, we love to fear in our human yeah. minds, but the mind of God is such... Uh, it's there's so much like well, there's so much peace and joy like when we're able to actually like think with our mind of God. My counselor calls it the wise mind, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, there you go. I'm yeah. gonna yeah. Su- superimpose that wise mind, mind of God, right? Yep. And it's a gift. And so uh, being able to think rightly and have this renewal of the mind, right? My my dear friend Philip Neary says holiness happens between three fingers, right? <laughs> Meaning right. that the renewal of our mind. Yeah. Uh, and so. Uh, along that line, if someone, you know, they are in need of spiritual assistance, they are in need of an exorcism, they, they need this renewal, this life breathed into them, uh, where should they seek help? Number one place that people should always turn to is their parish priest. You know, you think that the parish priest is really the primary caregiver, if you will, to a person in their spiritual life. And really, if you look at Pope Francis about the Church being, you know, an outpost of God's mercy, you know, people should always go and talk to their parish priests where the priest can listen to them, pray with them, he can anoint them, he can hear their confession, and then it really should be the priest who would refer the person to the exorcist if he believes that that's really the right course of of treatment. I will say that the majority of people, by the time they contact me, they've already self-diagnosed, meaning they believe that it's demonic possession or or whatever. But ultimately, the Church herself has to make that determination. And, you know, pastoral care is really what exorcism ministry is all about, and pastoral care is best received in the parish. So a person really should go and talk to their parish priest and ask him for his guidance and direction, because that also says to the exorcist that the person is taking this seriously, because they're connecting with their local parish. 
And again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's not just about casting the demon out. It's about growing in holiness and virtue and inviting God in. And that means the person needs to become active in their parish community. You know, the sacramental life of the Church and going to Mass and praying, all those things are so vital to protect and safeguard the person from any possible demonic attacks, because if somebody has been possessed before, even after an exorcism, the demon may try to afflict them again, thinking, I was successful before, let me see if I can be successful again. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we only have a couple minutes left, Father. Um, thinking about all the work that you um, are asked to do and people reach out to you, how can we, the listeners, pray for you? I think that's the key ingredient is for uh, people to realize we need to pray for our priests and even all the priests that are involved in this ministry. I mentioned earlier that I became one of 12 back in 2005. There is now an exorcist training school in the United States located in Chicago. Wow. And they have now more than 300 priests who've graduated from there. So there are more than 300 priests who've been trained in exorcism ministry here in the United States. And that's a great sign that the Church is listening. But the devil also knows who's working to defeat him, mm. which is why it's so important for you know, faithful Catholics to pray for priests, that uh, you know, we remain committed in the ministry that we've been called to do, and even for those priests that have been called to do the ministry of exorcism. I've known at least four exorcism priests who have left the priesthood in the 18 years that I've done this. Again, the devil knows who's working against him, and sometimes yeah. the attacks become so great that these priests simply give up. So to pray for them is so important. Amen. Well, Father, thank you so much for being on and sharing some wisdom about uh, diving deeper with the Lord. So uh, don't go anywhere, everyone. We'll be back after this break uh, with a more conversation about the Pope's exorcist. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Real Presence Live. Real Presence Live. 